Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. Welcome to Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. I'm your host, Wayne Yurcha, and this podcast is a step-by-step action plan to help parents protect and prepare their children for the future. Well, thank you for joining us. This is episode number 14, and I'm here with my podcast partner, developmental and educational psychologist and kids media expert, Dr. Rob Ryer. And if this is the first episode you're listening to, we want to tell you that each episode builds upon the preceding ones. So to get the most out of the episodes, we do suggest that you listen to them in order if possible. Also, as a guide for you, episode one through eight provide important foundational information. And starting in episode number nine, we begin to introduce specific tools and strategies designed to help you protect and prepare your children and family for the future. Now, in the last episode, episode number 13, we continued to explore a valuable framework that parents can use to help understand and guide their children's healthy development. It's called the inner IQ. And IQ stands for integral quality. So inner integral qualities. And in episode 13, we talked about one of the important dimensions of the inner IQ, and that was self-management. Now, today we're going to discuss two more dimensions, meaning and mastery. And we're fortunate to have Adrian Principe joining us again. Adrian is a mom of four and is the founder of Turning Life On and the co-founder of The Conquered Promise. But before we get started on meaning and mastery, We want to give parents another example of how they can use entertainment strategies, like we've been talking about in the last few episodes, to help understand and connect with their children better. So Adrian, we had asked you to ask one of your kids who their favorite character from Star Wars was. Did you get a chance to do that? I did. I did. So my 10-year-old, who's actually now 11... His favorite character is Chewie. Oh, really? Okay. Chewbacca. Which I found really interesting, right? Um, and he said, I think he likes that. Well, he said that he likes that he's funny and a strong character and loyal. Mm-hmm. You know, that he's really loyal, not only to Han Solo, but also to Princess Leia and to Luke Skywalker. Well, that's a cool answer. Like, I mean, that's not an answer that you would sort of have thought of. Right? Yeah. Definitely not. I definitely did not expect that answer. That's a sidekick archetype, not a hero, which is really cool. Say that again? He's a what? A sidekick? Yeah. So we know that Chewie is a is a very, very famous and, and um, powerful and popular character. And actually, I was looking him up over the weekend, and I think they said something like uh, Chewbacca was named one of the greatest sidekicks in film history by Entertainment Weekly. So he's a very, very well-known sidekick kind of archetype. And the attributes that that character displays as a sidekick are loyalty and like your son related to the idea of funny. Well, and I think that's maybe why my son said that Chewie was his favorite character from Star Wars. And although I was surprised at first, I didn't expect him to say that. When we talked more about Chewie as a character, it kind of made sense. My son tends to be a sidekick. He's not a huge, he doesn't have a huge personality. He has a lot of friends. He's very loyal. In fact, it's so interesting because he just had his birthday party on Friday night and he invited, of all the friends that he's made throughout his grade school years, he invited his four preschool friends who he's still friends with 
um, but they're not really in his social circle. So I would say, you know, that is kind of the definition of loyalty, right? So it's, it's not surprising that he said that Chewie was his favorite character. That's very important to know, especially uh, as you mentioned that your son is more of a sidekick archetype than a hero archetype. And he's relating to a character that is a sidekick archetype. That's really great, uh, a great understanding in terms of that personality that he relates to as well as his own personality. Rob, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the term archetype, can you give us all a bit of an overview so parents can understand how this fits into their kids' entertainment? Yeah, well, basically, uh, the whole idea of archetypes is what types of characters with what kinds of personality have stood the test of time, and they repeat themselves over and over and over again in the entertainment that you're you know, familiar with. And therefore, they have a sort of a, a set of traits that people love or don't love. So you got the dark side characters, the bad guys. You have the caregiver kind of character. You have the hero character. You have the sidekick character. You have the child character. And, you know, the friend kind of character. Uh, you know, that's all of Joseph Campbell's work on the hero's journey. And, and I've had a lot of experience with regard to constructing programs that have a character dynamic. So, for example, on the Baylor College of Medicine program that we developed to uh, get preschool kids to eat better, you start with the idea, okay, if we're going to do a puppet show or animation to help kids learn to eat vegetables and fruits, what kind of archetype do you have to have in the character in order for the child at that particular developmental stage to identify at the highest possible level? And how do you make that archetype appealing and simple? For example, we created Reggie Veggie and Judy Fruity. And then we created the third character, which is called the Bag Boy. So the way the dynamic works with the three archetypes is Reggie is the hero. And he's cuter than heck. And he's, you know, he's high powered. He has a personality profile. He's real excited. And then we have Judy Fruity, which is more of a teacher archetype and a learner archetype. And she supports what it is that you need to know while Reggie gets to be more excitable and motivational. And that character dynamic is separating a hero archetype from a sidekick archetype. The way I diagram those when I do that is in circles. You know, so you see the size of the circle represents the power of the character. So Reggie Veggie has a larger circle Judy Fruity's slightly smaller circle, and then the interplay between those two take place. But if you're going to do a story, you need a different kind of character, which is a character that will transform from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. And so that's a character that's working on something that has an issue that you have to transcend the issue, help that character transcend the issue. So the third character archetype is a loser kind of archetype. Cute kid, but not doing too well. He's not doing too well with his diet, his nutrition, his exercise, and he's a wannabe superhero. And the wannabe superhero wears a bag over his head that he cut some slots in so he could see out, but it's a chip bag because he's a bad eater. <laughs> and so you've got Reggie the hero, 
Judy the sidekick and the aspiring hero who is basically not doing too well, and that's the bag boy. And the job in the character dynamic is to get Reggie and Judy to transform the bag boy into a real hero by changing his nutritional habits and getting him to feel better about himself as well as feeling better physically. So that's an example of three archetypes in the character dynamic and how you create those in a story to make the story work for the age and stage that you decided is the audience. And I think that um, understanding archetypes just gives parents another tool into understanding their children's entertainment better, which in turn will help them understand their children better. And with that in mind, I think we should move on to the next two dimensions of the inner IQ. And those are meaning and mastery. Just a brief review, the inner IQ is a framework that parents can use to help them deal with really any issue surrounding their children's development and well-being. So Rob, what are your thoughts on the meaning dimension of the inner IQ? Yeah, so if we take uh, the idea uh, that we did in the previous podcast and talk about understanding our identity, understanding our values, and understanding our virtues, the next thing we do with that is translate that information that we're learning and we're understanding into the meaning that we have in life, the meaning, the purpose for being here, you know, our point of view about what, what makes the world tick, why we're here. That gives us the meaning. And we know, we know from all the research that meaning is absolutely huge with regard to sustaining long-term mental health. So once it's diminished significantly and if cognitive control or self-management is reduced and you can't remake the meaning or redevelop that meaning inside you, then you have to wonder why you get up in the morning. What is it that turns people on? Is there meaning? And that gets into a whole thing about individuals starting at a very early age with children, helping them discover their passion, their multiple intelligence skills, the kinds of things that they do intuitively because they love them and translating those things into skills and meaning for the future so that the motivational piece of their life is never diminished. And they're, they're constantly refreshing their self and feeling the day. So they get up in the morning and they feel their day in the sense of understanding why they're here and what gives them meaning in life. So this becomes huge when it gets down to that discovery. And it also looks like the information on suicide and mental health has a lot to do with meaning dropping out. So that's why meaning is so incredibly important. It's a sustainable fuel over a person's lifetime that if they can discover the meaning for getting up every day and be excited about that, that will uh, sustain them during their lifetime. I love that term, sustainable fuel. I think that's exactly what meaning is. If you wake up in the morning and you don't have anything that really drives you, any, any meaning, anything that really is meaningful to you, it's a pretty empty life. And I think we're seeing that more and more now in a culture that is increasingly focused on such superficial measures of success. And the other thing is, how, how do you create it without, without self-management? If you don't know how to control your thinking, how can you 
design your thinking creatively and critically into developing meaning at higher and higher levels so that you can move into mastery. So they go together in the sense of having the skills to find the meaning, develop the meaning, and then move that into a level of mastery that gives you future success. Right. And we're talking about inner IQ here. So we're talking about internal meaning, right? Or internal skills or passions or talents or gifts. And not, I think so many kids today are relying on technology. They're spending so much time on technology that they're finding meaning through external stimuli instead of internal. And that goes back to that whole idea of the zone. And when your brain is wired in a certain way because you're spending so much time gaming and you're at that perfect place between anxiety um, and boredom, you're being manipulated to be in that place. Whereas if you go out and have to play a soccer game, you have to put yourself in that place yourself. And if that's going to be your passion, if your passion is soccer, then you need to find that within, find that passion within and find that motivation within to have that true meaning. And I think that's why um, the use of entertainment is to start with the idea of what does the character uh, that you're identifying with find meaningful? What what makes him tick or her tick? And then that, that opens up a perfect discussion into like, okay, so what is it for you then as a child in the family? I know the character gets meaning from this. So it's a it's a higher level, a little bit higher level discussion. But as the kids get older, you know, you know, in, in their preteens and teens, that's a discussion that makes great sense for uh, different characters that are in the um, entertainment industry. And I think we want to be clear for our listeners that there's the entertainment and then there's the use of the entertainment. So, for example, we could have, and I'm not talking about a specific game, but you could have a Star Wars game that was using all of the manipulative persuasive design techniques to hook a child, just as any other game could be. Or, um, you know, toys that were, that were not necessarily in the best interest of the child. So we're not talking about um, how the piece of entertainment is being used commercially. We're talking about a parent interpreting something that your child likes in a way that then gives you insight and can help the child. So we are making the distinction of, as we have all along, of translating entertainment into entertainment. And that's the parent's job to do. You know, we're going to give you an idea of how to do all that, but that's something that the parent does. So we're not interested in the commercial value of these types of things. And I think that's why it's so critical to understand the nine dimensions of the inner IQ, because it gives you a checklist. You know, when you're looking at entertainment, does this help my child's identity? Does it help them establish better values and virtues? Can I point to self-management within the, the realm of the entertainment and the characters, how they do it in a positive way or how they glean meaning? from certain things within the story or mastery. So all of that is the way you use the inner IQ and get that involved in the entertainment and turn it into entertainment. And that's a great point, Wayne. This is not about commercial. The other thing that we know, for example, that analysis is a higher high brain function and synthesis is a high brain function and creativity is a higher brain function. And those things uh, would go 
in terms of developmental stages, that's what you would aspire to when you're using entertainment and you're taking a look at stories and analyzing the power of those stories to improve well-being. So, Rob, the third category that we're going to be talking about is mastery. So can you uh, give us a bit of an overview on mastery? Yeah. So um, what I think we've lost a lot of in society is because it's the instant gratification culture. And we bought into the idea of the happiness hype, what's going on now, it's pleasure now, which then may be directly related to the increase in drug addiction and feeling good now. There's a whole cycle going on. We talk about the cycle of noise and how people are compensating for overload, disruption, distraction, and distortion in their life. And they're, they're doing things because they can't handle the increasing amount of information coming in. They're losing the ability, if they lose cognitive control, to sort that information, filter that information, and decide what's good for them and what isn't good for them. So all of those things are trade-offs that are being made if you're spending time outside in outside communication and you're reducing the time on inside communication. But especially relevant is the idea of what it takes for mastery, which is long-term. Mastery is not the kind of thing that you either have it or you don't, you know, to start with. So even great athletes that are gifted are going to take years of being in that gym practicing and practicing and practicing till they move into greatness. So the issue with with mastery then as the third dimension is if I lose my self-management skills and I don't have a lot of meaning in my life because I don't know how to find that meaning, then how am I ever going to get to the point of discovering what it is that I want to master and then having the skill and the focus and the desire and the motivation to do that over the long haul that it takes to be in the mode of mastery of any particular skill. So therefore, it reduces your final ability to be really great in what your passion is. And I think for a lot of a lot of parents, they don't understand the passion, so they don't understand how self-management can be increased using the passion and building on the passion and the multiple intelligence skills that a child has, and then moving that into the uh, motivational dimensions that it's going to take to take that into the mastery level. All of those are completely interrelated and depend upon each other. And today's tech seems to sell you the idea that you can have everything instantly. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing of it. Part of the hook on it is that uh, you can get this right now. All you have to do is, you know, go to this particular website or get this app or do this thing. But, you know, um, we're uh, recording this episode and it is game five of the NBA finals tonight. And the Toronto Raptors are playing the uh, Golden State Warriors. Uh, Steph Curry, who's uh, been fantastic in the whole series, is going to be playing tonight, obviously. And this is a big game because the Raptors can uh, can finish them off uh, the Golden State Warriors and as a Canadian of course I'm all in for this and um, can hardly wait for this game but when you're talking about mastery I saw a little feature during the uh, the NBA playoffs here of it, in fact it was showing um, Steph Curry and his brother when they were young and their father 
played for the Raptors many, many years ago. And the two boys were shown taking shots, you know, on the court. And they would go on and they'd have to be basically booted off the court because they would stay there forever, shot after shot after shot after shot. And every single person that gets good at anything has to have that kind of a passion and they have to have that that work ethic. Uh, a long, long time ago, I was a golf pro and people would come to me and say, you know, I want to improve my golf game. And one of the questions I'd ask is, how good do you want to get? Because it's going to take time. You're going to get worse before you get better. You're going to have to put in the time. You're going to have to put in the effort. If you want to get to a certain level in anything in life, you have to do that. And I don't know what's happened to that idea of mastery. You see so many people these days somehow think that, that it should just happen automatically. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Well, you know, and, and it would make sense if we are in an instant gratification culture that it would translate into, well, then therefore I should be good at this already, or it's not going to take that much work, or it's simpler than it actually is. And so if you combine that with the idea of cognitive control and self-discipline and the whole idea of self-management being the key to this, and that declines as well as mastery being something that takes energy and time and commitment over the years. I mean, when you talk about guys like Steph Curry and, and Kobe Bryant used to be uh, somebody that I followed closely because I kept reading he was in the gym at 5 a.m. in the morning shooting. And I'm going, holy cow, what does it take? Uh, what kind of mind does that? What kind of self-discipline is that? So, you know, there's only a handful of people nowadays that I know that are willing to do that kind of a work to get to that kind of level. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the way the culture has shifted into the illusions of instant gratification. And don't you find for many today, when it doesn't happen as easy as it's supposed to happen in their mind, that's when there becomes this disappointment. I was reading an article about millennials not that long ago, uh, written by uh, millennials, and they were saying that their friends are in this situation where they're aimless. That whole idea of having no direction is directly tied into me, into this idea of self-management and meaning and mastery, don't you think? Yeah, plus the feedback loop now with social media. So once you put the feedback loop in there, um, you're on stage and people are watching you and they're evaluating you and they're telling you, you, you suck. You're not very good at this. You know, you think you are, but you're not. And they're also being taught to criticize, you know, criticizing people, making them look bad, giving them nicknames, making fools out of them. You know, so that's being taught along with the idea of you're not good enough. Um, it's very difficult, you know, without the whole idea of having your values in place, your identity in place, your meaning in place to provide the foundation. And that's exactly what is not being taught in uh, schools. I mean, when you think about mastery, how do they approach school? How does the educational system in schools approach this with regard to what personal characteristics do you need as a student? in order to master a class, especially if you don't like the class or you're, you don't happen to be gifted in that area with your own personal background, multiple intelligence skills, you may hate the class 
And then at the same time, you're expected to master the class without having any idea how mastery works at all. Well, and I think this also goes back to that whole idea of failure um, and resilience and that, you know, they used to call them helicopter parents. And now the term is, I've heard both curling parents and snowplow parents where, where there's this idea that parents are literally removing all obstacles from their child's path. And so, I mean, that totally makes sense with all of this. If a child hasn't faced failure, if they haven't had to develop resilience because because of all these things that we're talking about, then how can they put in the the motivation and the determination and the time to master anything? And the other thing, when you add to the fact that it takes executive function, and that's a long-term unfolding of the brain, a prefrontal lobe of the brain up to 25 years before it's really mapped in, and the executive function is one of the keys for mastery and focus. And so it's not like a short thing that gets put in place early. It's got to be provided by the parents over time, and they have to understand that unfolding process. And that's another piece that's missing in the culture is to understand the developmental ages and stages and what's necessary to get high brain in in place. Well, and I will say it feels like at the schools, there's such a reliance on technology that I think it is taking away from some of those executive functioning skills. So kids are just, all their assignments are posted online. Often the the teacher's um, lecture notes are posted online. So there's not as much organization that's happening or that's being taught in the schools, which I think is to the detriment of the development of executive functioning skills. Yes, absolutely. I would, you know, you guys were talking about basketball and for the most part, I have no idea who you're talking about, but (laughs) (laughs) I read this awesome article about the Texas Tech men's basketball team and how they had lost... I think it was four four road games in a row they had lost. And so finally, I think it was the captain of the team said, well, we're going to collect all your smartphones tonight at 11 o'clock. And so he collected all their smartphones. They won the next game. And then they decided to implement this policy where all the phones were going to be collected at 11. Wow. Um, and they did that and they made it into the final four, which I guess was the first time they had ever made it into the final four. And so one, they had interviewed one of the players, I think he was a senior, and he said something along the lines of, it's nice not to have my phone that I can actually enjoy this moment. Wow. So I think that, I think that goes to what we're talking about here, where, okay, so we know these devices are designed with persuasive design. So it's really, really difficult to self-manage on these devices, right? So they they had to implement this policy where we're going to take the phone because you obviously can't manage it yourself, right? And then he was able, they were able to find mastery because they weren't being distracted by their phones. Now, whatever it was, it could have been they weren't getting enough sleep. They weren't working as a team because we've, we've heard that as well, that mental health in the NBA is down because mm-hmm. players are spending so much time on their devices and they're not spending time as a team, particularly on the bus or... Um, when they're traveling. So there's been some articles about that. So, you know, they managed the phones, they worked on their mastery, which they knew required good sleep. And then he was able to find meaning from it. So he said, you know what, being here right now in the moment and not replying to everybody who's texting me and calling me and 
um, not being on social media or tweeting about what's happening, actually enjoying the moment. He was able to find a deeper level of meaning through that experience. That's great. And you know, what's cool about that is probably um, what came up during that period where they were not using their phones was they didn't have to make an excuse to their friends because the coach made it for them. So they could say, hey, uh, you know, my coach told me I can't, I can't use my phone. Right. So, so that got them off the hook with regard to why they were not available and they were not responding, you know, which is similar to what should happen with parents. Uh, but it's a different situation when apparently when you're, you know, when you have a coach and you're in that kind of a situation, I know parents can't pull that off as easy. Why not? <laughs> we tell parents all the time that, you know, you can take, you are the parent, take your child's device away, tell them you want to protect their sleep and let them blame you. Let them say, oh, my mom's the worst. She took my phone away. But in most situations, I think kids want that. They want the break. They need to disconnect. They need to be with themselves. And I think that's a great takeaway to leave this episode with. To help our children develop meaning and mastery in their lives, they need time away from their devices. And we need to help them create that time. Now, coming up in episode 15, we're going to continue with the inner IQ. And we're going to talk about the communication category, which includes three dimensions, me communication, we communication, and it communication. And we're going to start with me communication. Also, if you're listening to us on our website, we did want you to know that uh, we are available on a number of podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and many more. So you can certainly join us there as well, anytime that you want. So until next time, thank you for listening and live above the noise. Hello, everyone. If you'd like to get our email update, about new episodes, tips and tools, and all the latest information, please sign up for our Noise Watch update on our liveabovethenoise.com website.